All right, we're rolling episode 26 of the Hockey Cards Gong Show podcast. My name is Josh. I'm here with Troy. As always, Troy, what's up? Not much. I actually got off a really cool call talking about video platforms for hockey analytics and recording our high school games. So that was fun. That is all sorts of geeky, nerdy, and cool at the uh, at the same time. Is there any relevancy to hockey cards or no? No, not really. Analytics are cool. Hockey analytics are really cool. So it was fun to look We're kind of data then, geeks, so yeah. I, I could definitely see that. Uh, we're going to kind of breeze through the intro stuff today because we've got a ton of especially mailbag questions, which is pretty awesome to get through at the end of the show. One thing I want to mention, though, is we're both pretty pumped. And I know, Troy, you are super excited for Monday's episode. It's going to be our kind of Halloween spectacular where we've come up with a number of ideas and we may have some more that we'll think of over the weekend, too, to sort of tie in the Halloween theme into hockey cards. You want to give any sneak peeks or you just oh. want to keep everyone? Uh, I was going to I was thinking debating if I should keep uh, keep my mouth shut, but I will give we can kind of give a hint something around mascots, something around goons. Maybe ghouls, we'll see. Goons and ghouls, that's what I was going to say, too. Yeah, that should be a fun one. And it'll be kind of a little bit of a departure from sort of the standard stuff we get into. So looking forward to that. Last thing I'll mention before the game plan is we are a Patreon podcast. That means that your support helps enable everything we do. So if you want to take, uh, if you love the show, you want to continue to see us do well and help us grow and do our small part to grow the hobby, we would ask that if you go to Patreon, by either our sh- link in the description of the show on our Instagram profile or going to the Patreon website and searching for Hockey Cards Gong Show. You can join our Out of 99 tier and be one of the first 99 supporters to forever have that title. Get exclusive access to the Gong Show Discord, which I'm enjoying more and more, Troy, as kind of the weeks go on and I'm getting to know the people and having great card discussion. Can't wait to see that grow and where that goes. It obviously helps us cover expenses. Uh, It's a great opportunity to ask us questions, be more involved in our show. Ask when we have interviews come up, we ask people in the discord to suggest different questions. We ask our guests, show topics, lots of other stuff like that. Thank you to everyone who has chosen to support us. And like I said, if you want to support the gong show in our show descriptions, a link, visit the Patreon website, search hockey cards, gong show, or in our Instagram profile. Okay, Troy, let's roll with the game plan. On today's show, we will begin with our ongoing segment around the best hockey player to wear the jersey number that matches our show episode number. And for this episode, it is number 26. Next, we take a quick look at some movers and shakers now that most teams have anywhere between five and seven games played. Then it is on to hobby news. We then have a really great interview with Mikey Singer from the Toronto Sports Card Expo and hit a lot of different subjects revolving around the upcoming expo. We wrap up the show with new product releases and our listener mailbag segment, which is huge. <laughs> we might have to trim it down in the future. I don't know. <laughs> yes, it's a, uh, or you can have a nine-hour mailbag episode. <laughs> One of the yeah, two. we might have to have like a mailbag extravaganza <laughs> show, but no, keep a, keep the questions coming. It's awesome. They're I, really great. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised by like how many questions. When we first did this, we were thinking, what if no one writes a question? And we're just like sitting there talking to ourselves, basically asking each other questions. But no, yeah, we're like, great. are we going to have to have our moms plant questions for us? Just so <laughs> it looks like people are interested in talking to us. So yeah, it's uh-huh. nice. Thank you all that we don't have to do that. All right, well, so let's get rolling. So we are on episode 26. So hockey's most famous number 26 or player that wore number 26, according to the Hockey Writers article, is Peter Statsny. Now, I will say this. 
when we do these guys that we do this vintage research on, it's actually one of my favorite parts of what we do is you just learn a lot about players that you kind of knew or you heard about and you maybe not remember watching them because you were young or you just never saw them play. But this stuff is really fascinating. So I don't know if, Josh, do you have any experience with Peter Statsney or is you probably heard the name and that's that's where it is? Yeah, I have the name recognition. I think a point to make maybe for younger folks that are listening is back in our day in the 80s and early 90s, there wasn't the access to all mm-hmm. the games. There was no NHL like or ESPN Plus or anything like that. So unless you they were playing your team and you had some like crazy satellite package, it's funny to mm-hmm. say satellite, or you were at Games Live, you really didn't get that much of a vantage point into seeing these people. One question I have for you, I kind of meant to last, ask last week and didn't, but I'm curious. So in that article, do they give you like runners up? They do. They have honorable mentions. I was kind of thinking if we if we made it through, then oh. you can kind of look at the mon- honorable mentions because like episode one one hundred five could be an honorable or sure. be number five. So you're hiding them from us, is what I am. you're saying. I am. I okay. didn't want to okay. bring them up. All and right. going back right. to your point on just to let people know how it was trying to watch hockey games back in the eighties and nineties. I know we personally had to have a paid channel that we had to subscribe to. To get just the North Star games. <laughs> I can't remember what the channel was called because we had a regular subscription to cable TV, I think. And then you had to pay, do this add on to even get North Star games. It wasn't like it was it was crazy back then and it was expensive and all that. You and I have talked about this before, but I think it's I don't know if we mentioned it on the podcast yet. When the North Stars made the Stanley Cup finals in yeah. 91, was it? Yeah, 91, 92, right? Somewhere in there. 91. I think so. 91-ish, we'll call it. It was 91. I'm in the Iron Range of Northern Minnesota. Troy's in the Twin Cities. Young Josh and Young Troy. And literally had to listen to the game on the radio. Yeah. Because it wasn't on TV. We're in the Stanley Cup Finals. Now, from what I remember, we got our, our literally our butts beat. So maybe it was better not to have it on tv but it's kind yeah. of crazy to think i do remember in- i do i know some games are on tv i don't know how I, I remember watching a couple of them but i think maybe that was part of that whole subscription package again that we had to buy it's probably like a wrestling pay-per-views back in the day when they were like 60 bucks and you had to buy them every month now you just got whatever peacock or the wwe channel you get them on you had some but, crazy russian satellite dish that you yeah <laughs> that's true okay we gotta get back, we gotta get back okay. on target we're gonna have a track so peter statsney was number 26 greatest number 26 and again fascinating read i would highly recommend anyone read his background played 977 regular season games over a 16 year nhl career played 10 years in quebec Love Quebec, love the jerseys. Four years in New Jersey and two years with St. Louis. He's a Hall of Famer. He was the 1980-81 Calder winner for Rookie of the Year, and he was a six-time All-Star. Over his playing career for the regular season, he had 450 goals, which put him 61st all-time, 789 assists, which was 35th, for 1,239 points, which put him 40th all-time. However, he did average 1.26 points a game which ranks him eighth all time. Crazy. Highly, yeah, he was a highly skilled. Personally, from reading all this, he's a forgot. I think people forget how good he was. He was the first rookie to score 100-plus points in his rookie season. Caveat to this is Gretzky had more points in his first NHL season, but was not considered a rookie because he played in the World Hockey Association before the NHL. So he does not hold <laughs> the rookie record. So Statsy made the playoffs in 12 of his 16 seasons, 93 games played, 33 goals, 72 assists for 105 points, 
which put him at 1.13 points per game. He was 15th all-time in playoff scoring. He won two world championships with Czechoslovakia, defeating the Soviet Union in 1976 and 77. And if you read his background, those are big wins because obviously being from a country that got invaded by the Soviet Union, he took it personally whenever they played the Soviet Union. And if you, like I kind of mentioned, read his backstory. It's very interesting story of him getting to the NHL. He defected with his brother Anton Statsny from Czechoslovakia. And then a year later, their brother, Marion Statsny, defected, and all three ended up on the Nordiques. And, and here's the really cool part. All three played on the same line. Peter was the center to his two brothers. In the 80s, Statsny's production of 1,059 points was second only to Gretzky, who had 1,842 points. Statsny had six consecutive seasons of 100 points or more. It's pretty, I mean, this is a guy, I think people just don't realize how good he was for that, you know, the first you know half of his career and even his later half, he was still a productive player. He kind of set the standard for what the European born NHL player was when he came into the league and his emergence in the NHL. He also, he wasn't the first to ever defect, but he, once he defected, it kind of opened up a little floodgate of more players following through either through defecting on their own or countries kind of loosening up. Obviously, I'm not of a great political mind. I didn't research all the <laughs> geopolitical things going on at that time. But it's it was kind of his defection that started kind of a trend of opening the floodgates. You don't uh, take the show seriously, Trey? I do. I do take this show seriously. There's only so much I could research. I know. Um, well, I'm assuming then that, and this is part of my, well, I think I know this, but it's hearkening me back to middle school like world history or social studies, but so Czech, Czech, Czechoslovakia was communist part of the Soviet Union, right? I believe I, I Soviet believe, Union controlled. I believe Soviet Union yeah. came in and kind of took over and made people not love what they were doing or how they were. I, I, I just know he kind of mentions it in his, in his bio, how playing the Soviet Union, it was personal to him. You came into my yeah. country and all that stuff. Well if, well, if you had to defect, it mean you couldn't just go because you wanted to. No, it's you, you can watch a whole, there's a whole video of it, how like him explaining the defection process and how crazy it was. And you just don't know, like you're in a car and you just made one phone call to the Nordiques who then put a bunch of stuff in action. And it's kind of crazy. Harkening back to our soldier Kaprizov, trying to, trying to imagine if it was kind of like that. I doubt it was that crazy. It's kind of many people don't know this, but Troy and I, for four or five days, were on the Russian border, prepared <laughs> to secretly infiltrate oh. the country and pull out our boy. Yeah, Luckily, we were, it didn't we were, come to that. We were ready to get him. All right, so <laughs> back to Spatik Stassi. So during his career, a very prolific scorer, as you contained from some of his stats mentioned earlier. He was highly skilled, tremendous playmaker. He wasn't like the staunchest a defensive player, but he did play on the penalty kill unit. So he had some trust there, but he did have, he had a good amount of shorthanded goals too. After his playing career, he went into politics as a member of the European Parliament for 10 years. And he did a lot of work around social initiatives and outreach and civil rights and stuff like that over in Europe. Here's one of my, I, I'm going to start throwing this in as I find them. Random fact of Peter Statsny was Ooh, fun facts. Yeah, fun facts, was fluent in six languages and was able to help translate for teammates in Czech, Slovak, Russian, German, French, and English. So he ended up being like the unofficial translator for a lot of his teammates because he knew so many languages. So that's kind of his little background. Again, please read up on him. 
fascinating story. Really good hockey player. And let's look at though by yeah. scouring your report here that he didn't have a lot of team playoff success. Is that correct? Correct. No Stanley Cups. Quebec. Quebec, New Jersey. I think he missed out on the New Jersey Cup. Yeah. Then mm. he ended up with St. Louis at the end. But yeah, not not a lot of you know, he played fine in the postseason, just kind of kind of a victim of luck and just how he came into the league, came in later. You know, he's another this is another what if. Like I'm always on the bossy what if train. Stastny's just like that too. He didn't come into the league, I think, till 24, 25. I'd have to look it up again. But obviously, being over in Europe behind the Iron Curtain, you call it, and defecting later, he's one of those guys that could have had way more points and been in top 20, maybe. Okay, so let's look at his cards. Now, this is, I will say this, there's not a lot of sales on these. These are, they're kind of all over the place. But his rookie card is the 1981-82 OPC number 269. There is also a tops version, which is number 39. So you just got to remember that when you're looking in. And actually looking at a couple of eBay listings, some people mislabel them. So you, if you mm. are interested in looking at his cards, make sure you check the picture. And there's also in that same set, there's super action versions, which on the bottom say super action. Mm. Now it's a different picture, but some people list it as the rookie card. And so you could get caught that way if you don't pay attention. So his OPG rookie, a PSA 10, it's a pop 27 the last sale I could find was August 6, 2022. PWCC was the one that sold it, and that went for $1,000. So obviously... That seems Mopa, just, like, pathetic, yeah. doesn't it? Yep. It seems, I mean, I, I just looked, and I was like, huh, that seems low. And then there was one before that on July 10th for $1,200. I feel the, the person got it for 1000 got a steal. But again, these are those cards that are just... They sit there mm-hmm. and meander. It's a great player. Maybe not a lot of recognition. He's probably hurt by being in a small town, or Quebec was a small market, but obviously being in Canada probably helped. His PSA 9 OPG version had a pop count of 118. The most recent, like I'll call it valid sale that I, I want to include was June 28th, 2022 for $230. Caveat, there was a PSA 9 sold on eBay on October 8th. 2022 that had the off-center qualifier and it was horribly off-center. It looked terrible, but it was still great at a PSA 9 and I already had my rant of the day with Josh on how the heck a card can be a PSA 9 and be so off-centered. And that one sold for $55. But then Josh explained qualifiers and all that stuff. And I just got Yeah, angry. just so in case anyone who doesn't know, from a hobby value perspective, the rule of thumb that I've always used is that if it's a PSA 9 OC, the the regular grade equivalent would be two grades lower. So it'd be mm. equivalent to a PSA 7. I just found my Expo mission. I want an 8182 OPG PSA 9. That's my goal for the Expo. Yeah. And I'm prepared to arm wrestle anyone <laughs> there for it. It's probably completely idiotic to say this on our podcast, because I'm sure someone will find it, yeah. snatch it up, and try to charge me $500 <laughs> for it. But hey, honesty, gotta be honest. And I agree with you. I, I actually think I'm going to start. I want to look around too. And I'm not, no. I mean, I've, I like to say I'm an OPG stop. I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be too bad with the tops version either. And just to give you one more data point, the OPG, the rookie card, PSA 8, pop 231 sold for about $75 on October 10th. So again, just way low. Um, raw, wait, wait, wait. raw versions you can get for under 10 bucks of the OPG. So his 81, 82, PSA 9 tops. I get it tops. All right. All you OPG guys, just calm down a second. Pop 271. So this is a rookie card from 1981. (laughs) 271. 
yep. was for 30 bucks. This guy had 100 points for six straight seasons. <laughs> I, know. I know. This is this is just one of the, it's. I think this is going to become a trend of this segment, is talking about some great player and just how cheap their stinking cards are. If they're a great player from like the 80s, you know, early 90s. Is Quentin Byfield's young gun still more? I don't think it's still more, <laughs> but it's like, come on, people. Yeah. All right. That's my mission. I'm finding an OPG. I'm going to be a snob pro OPG. Yeah. But that's my new expo mission. Too. And, and, really and just let everyone know. too. Yeah. Just you got it. You got to do it. I'll, I'll be there with you. We'll see if we can find two. We'll see if we can corner the market or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> and just let everyone know. We I did look up the BGSs. The cup pops are so low and there's no transactions worth it. I mean, I could find any on some of these. So, but again, really, again, look up this guy, read about him, expand your horizons. If you don't know who he is, it's, it's a really good read. And he was a great player. Well, that was awesome. Troy. Thank you for researching that for, we learned a lot about languages. We learned about the iron curtain and we learned about Peter Stastny and his brothers. I remember, I do remember hearing the Stastny brothers, Oh yeah, you know, that kind of phrase. Well, just just think people can just listen to the gong show to get their history lessons. Now. I mean, we're becoming a multifaceted podcast. We need girlfriend advice. Hey, we'll <laughs> give it a shot. All right. Let's who's hot. Who's not. I love doing this, by the way. I am going to be excited, I think, for a week, probably a week or 10 days, and we can stop giving our who's not disclaimer. Like, it's early. It's only been after a period or two in the NHL season. By that time, we'll be 20% or 15% of the way through the season, and we'll be ripping away at people that are struggling. But for now, we're kind of temper our critique, I guess, of some of these guys. Let's start on the positive, though, with who's hot. Really pumped about the first guy, and it's Jesper Bratt from the New Jersey Devils. If you recall, Troy, going back, I don't know, probably 15 or so episodes or 10 episodes when we started talking about sleeper candidates for the year, this was one of my dudes. I just got to bring that up because I'm sure I'll be wrong about 10 times. The amount yeah, well, that's writes. what I do. I do. It's like, I don't want to go back and look at the ones that I'm way off on, but we, we will. We'll be honest. If we'll, we suck, we'll we honest. suck. We can't help. We, I mean, it is what it is. So a little bit of a quick refresher. Uh, well, first I should say he's got 12 points through seven games, three goals, nine assists, a little more on the helper side. He is coming off a breakout season last year where he had 73 points. His previous high to that was in 2017 where he had 35. So that's a big jump in one year. Uh, I mentioned he was my big sleeper breakout candidate for the year. Looking pretty good now. We'll see how that holds out. His 2017 Young Gun Raw is selling for about 17 bucks right now. The price on this card has been bouncing around the past few months, where kind of where's that now, uh, to as low as $5. And then you have the little shipping thing figured in there. And it's really hard to give accurate prices on Young Guns that are, I would say, less than $20 because there is some variability. But, you know, there hasn't been a big spike. Where we had, well, I guess I should say too, and then on his on the graded side is PSA 10. The last sale was for 155 US dollars. And it's honestly, it's the most recent sale in the last couple of years. I guess on the positive note, his current play got somebody interested to buy it. Yeah. So we'll need to kind of see what the next couple of sales do as far as tracking the price. So yes, for Brat, off to a good start. Next guy, we were asked about this in mail, this guy in mailbag too, Andrea Svechnikov. He's got seven goals and two assists for nine goals and six or nine points in six games. Uh, obviously, with seven goals, he's kind of got the scoring touch going on early in the season. Still really young, Troy, 22. Not 19. So, 22. Not 19. He's 22. <laughs> Good sign, though. He's he's also coming off his best season. So I have personally have high hopes for him this year. Interesting hockey card note on him. 
And I haven't seen this in a long time. So right now, the values for his 2017 Young Guns, both PSA 10 and BGS 9.5, mm-hmm. are actually within $11 of each other, US dollars. So it's PSA 10, pop count 765. Last sales around 172 US dollars. The BGS 9.5, pop 370. Last sales around 161 US dollars. Interesting. I kind of, my, my takeaway from that is that the PSA is probably a little bit undervalued at this point, even though the, the pop count's higher. Well, yeah, looking at recent trends for sure. That's, yes. So if, if I had the choice to buy the two for roughly even money, I would hedge towards the PSA. But just thought that that was kind of uh, kind would of. Would you like to buy my patch card that I just pulled from artifacts of him? I'd probably <laughs> rather steal it, but we can. <laughs> Next guy I want to cover real quick is one of the. Speaking of brothers, one of the brothers, Brady from Ottawa. He's got ten points in six games and even five goals and five assists. Ottawa should be a lot better this year. I think they did a lot in the offseason to help their team. So I think that's a good thing when it, you think of what Kachuk's point production could be for the season. And, you know, just being on a lousy team never helps your hobby value. There could be some potential with him this year. He's another guy. Troy is still pretty young, 23, not 19, but 23. <laughs> and his prices are showing a little positive price movement this month. His 2018 Young Gun PSA 10 popped 352 last sold for $148, which is up about 25 bucks. From the beginning of the month, his raw young gun is relatively flat at about $40 over the past month or so. Maybe good value in raw then. The next guy we've talked about before, but I kind of feel like we have to bring him up again because it's pretty nuts what he's doing is Rasmus Dahlin. This might be the third time we mentioned him in this segment, actually. Again, the former one or former number one overall pick has continued a incredibly hot start for Buffalo. He's got nine points in six games, including five goals and four assists. Here's a guy, Troy, and this is kind of the main reason why I wanted to bring him up again. We've seen a pretty big jump in his prices in the, over the past week. His 2018 Young Gun PSA 10 popped 830, so actually a relatively high mm-hmm. pop count, which you'd expect for a number one pick, right? If people are going to grade, they're gonna it's going to have a lot of hype because of that. It's up about 45%. Over the past week, hmm. last selling for 184 US dollars. Just to give you one point of context, and this is a little bit of an outlier, all you price checkers out there, I'm giving my disclaimer. On October 2nd, someone bought this card again, PSA 10 for 82 bucks, last sold for 184. Somebody got a steal there. It's also getting close to its all time high, which was 203 US dollars set in March of 2021. I, I think the big question with Dalene is, again, he's a defenseman. I don't think he's in the Kale McCarr mode of offensive defenseman. So to have nine points in six games, he's obviously not going to keep that pace. There's no way. But hopefully he plays well enough to keep the momentum going. Last guy, kind of taking a look more on the rookie side, Kent Johnson. He's had a really good week, Troy. The 20-year-old Blue Jackets left wing has five points in seven games, three goals and two assists. In the last three games, though, he has a goal in each game. So he seems to be hitting a little bit of a stride there. He's currently playing on the second line and second power play unit on a team that's got a decent amount of talent for a guy from the 2021 draft who's playing really in his first year in the NHL, what, five games in to be on the second line. You know, that's making me think about his uh, young guns that's coming up in Series 1 here. Yeah, he'll be next month in the 2022-23 Series 1 young gun. Could be a chase. So here's a guy, and we've talked about this before, where as of today, you kind of look at his MVP, so his 2022-23 MVP Silver Script, which is really his only NHL jersey rookie card. It's selling for about 10 bucks right now, but we're two weeks roughly away yeah. from Series 1 coming out. Have you seen him play at all? 
I have not. I've I've been meaning to watch Buffalo games, but I just haven't gotten around to to be free when one is on that the Wild weren't playing. Okay, Troy, I'm looking out at the curb, and it looks like the struggle bus has pulled up. Yep, so let's I, get I'm on renaming and... the who's not to the struggle bus. I like the struggle I love bus. It. I like the struggle bus a lot better than the, the who's not. All right, so we're gonna start Thatcher Dam Thatcher Demko. <laughs> And now he gets lumped in. Last week we talked about Vancouver. He obviously gets lumped into this, but I just want to go over some stuff with him. He is right now 0-5 as of when I wrote my notes out. He's got a 4.06 goals against with a .872 save percentage. Definitely not his usual stat line, but this is just a continuation of the overall Vancouver struggles, and he is bearing the brunt of it. Now, I will be the first to admit I haven't watched the Canucks a lot, but I do think that out of all the stuff wrong with the Canucks, Demko is probably one of the least <laughs> of the worries for or the reasons for the horrendous start. He is, you know, I did I did some research on the beat writers. He's playing fine, but the thing is about Demko, he he gets grouped in that elite league or elite tier of goalies. And right now, he's probably not playing that at that elite level that is expected of him and what Vancouver will need from him to win. That team, the more I read it, the more a disaster it is. Right now, he isn't stellar. It's going to be hard for Vancouver to win a game, to be honest. His uh, pricing, so it's 2016 Young Guns. It's PSA 10. It's a pop 377. It's around 150, and it's it's been steadily around that 150. It might have a sale for 139, and then 150, and then 151, and then it's just it's kind of fluctuated around that. His raw is going for around 23 23 US dollars. Um, there was a sale on October 24th, and at the end of September, it was right around the $33 range. So it has dipped a little bit from mm-hmm. that 25%, 30% range. It's it's dipped a little. Now, again, he's on the struggle bus. He's with Vancouver. He's one of those elite goalies that I think a lot of people expect good things from. He's just, right now, it's kind of a mess. We'll see how the rest of the season goes for him. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to make my way towards the back of the bus, and uh, we'll talk about a guy who's been set steadily in his seat now for the first couple weeks of the season. And is this controversial? Hate, is this controversial? No, I don't Are think you, it's controversial. Okay. I, just, I, okay. I hate doing it because, again, we're still on that very, very fine borderline between it is early enough, but I think it's worth mentioning our guy Mo Sider again, and only because whether it's fair or unfair, I guess that's for anyone to judge, but. With the amount of hype and expectations and winning the Calder Cup to be at one assist and zero goals in six games, he's even in the plus minus. So I don't know what that means. And he might be playing good, steady, structured, like you would expect your two and a half million dollar a year third pairing defenseman to play. But your superstar young Calder winning rookie, I don't know how you convince me that this is a good start. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. It's uh, definitely definitely not what not what he wanted, and not what uh, most cider young guns holders want. No, and I have seen a couple articles in the past few days where they're talking about for both him and Raymond, because to be frank, Raymond hasn't been great either. That sort of the sophomore slump, if that's if that's something that's you think you is real and believe in, and just sort of the maybe the weight of expectations could be a factor. But anytime you see those articles, that's not the greatest sign. Mm-hmm. He could again turn it around really quickly, end up having an amazing season. And I'm so I'm definitely not rooting against that. Believe me, I have my fair share of most cider cards. So I'm rooting for him to do well, but we also can't have our head under a rock with what's going on in the games either and just and just the lack of production. And if you're going to 
carry the torch for your rookie class, right? From a hockey card perspective, you gotta, you're going to have to produce. And especially if I compare, so he's obviously the series two guy. If you compare him to Caulfield, who really led the way was series one to a lot him and Zegris, but Caulfield has had a much better start and Zegris has been okay. Yeah, Cider just has definitely struggled. So taking a look at his 2021 young gun sales over the past three or four days. So he's pretty high volume. So you don't have to take that long of a look back. They're averaging right around, I approximated here, like 57, 58 US dollars with maybe a look on the low side in the low 50s and on the high end on the mid 60s. I would say it's about down maybe from a raw perspective, 10% over the past week or so. Last sale on his 2021 Young Gun PSA 10 was 219. That was selling in about the 250 range about a week ago. So again, it's pretty close to down 10% for both. Uh, where are you at with Mo Panic, Troy? Are you so you know, confident? I'm gonna, now here, I'm going to make like the big controversial statement. I was not the biggest Mo Cider fan. I think it's really hard with his values. It's really hard to be a defenseman and even... He didn't score that much last year. He had, what, seven goals, 40-something assists. It's a lot to live up to with that hype, to keep that hype going when you weren't – I mean, I don't know. I just – I wasn't the biggest Mo Sider fan, but it is interesting. I would – I'm – I don't have a lot of Mo Sider cards. I don't know if I would be panicking. I'd be wait and see mode, but it's definitely concerning and on my radar to be like, what is going on with this guy? And I don't know Mm -hmm. if it's just a Detroit – systemic issue with the team obviously said raymond's not having the greatest start either but there's a there's a little smoke there so you never know what's going on but hopefully like i said i don't want i don't want him to do bad i want him to pick it up and live up to the hype a little worrying right now we'll see on monday if mo is still on the struggle bus it might be (laughs) our mo struggle bus watch and hopefully he'll get off that would be a good thing for a lot of people let's switch gears and cover a little hobby news real quick one thing i wanted to touch on was the we talked a little bit about the Golden Elite auction, the October version of that last uh, episode. Right after that, the October PWCC Premier Auction ended. It was within the last couple of days. Nothing super high end in this auction, and but there were a number of very strong sales, including out of the top five sales, three of them were all time public sales records. I thought that was pretty cool, and just want to go over those. Real quick. So the first one I'll talk about is a 1951 Parkhurst Gordie Howe rookie, a PSA 7.5, population of five, count them on one hand, Ooh. sold for $44,400 US dollars. That includes buyer's premium. It at last sold in 2019 for 21.6. So it goes from 21.6 to 44.4. Very low pop, not a lot of sales, but that's a nice jump. Can right? we Can we expect you to hunt out this card at the Toronto Expo? If I sell your car while we're there, <laughs> sure. Uh, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'll hitchhike home with my Gordie Howe. I wouldn't mind that. Next record was a 1966 Topps Bobby Orr SGC7, Pop 17. Again, pretty low pop. Sold for $20,400 US with buyer premium. So this one's actually pretty interesting to me, Troy, for a few reasons. Number one, it's nice to see SGC with any strong hockey sale mm-hmm. where they've struggled compared to other sports. And what I think people have to remember about SGC is that a good majority of the top selling sports cards ever are in SGC holders. If you look at this summer, there is a huge Mickey Mantle record sale, SGC 9.5, the Honus Wagner 
was something like an SGC two or three or yeah, something like it that. Was low, but yeah. Um, but again, SGC. The other thing that stood out to me about this particular SGC holder is it was in their old holder, which I think is a mistake. And I'll take this opportunity to give a little bit of my advice, and I'll see if you agree or disagree, Troy. If you've got a $20,000-plus card in an old SGC holder and you want to send it to one of the premier auction houses like PWCC, I would probably have it reholdered before you do that. And maybe, and this is where vintage guys could disagree with me, maybe they prefer the old holder, but I think it just feels more modern. I think the their new holder, the tuxedo holder, is a little more recognizable. And we'll offer a little bit of more instant legitimacy or credibility. But I don't know. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I definitely like the new holder versus the old holders that I've seen. Being reholdered, it keeps the same grade, right? As long it as does. they don't as long as they don't wreck it taking it out. And it's a service they offer, right? I think I don't know if it's free or costs money, but I know you can I'm sure it costs money. Yeah. Yeah. I would probably do it too. I guess maybe if you're worried they're gonna do something to the card you don't but yeah uh, that's a good point let's talk about so the price increase here a little bit so just remember this card sold at the auction for twenty thousand four hundred us dollars the prior sale for this card at sgc7 was 8200 in january of 2019 so 8200 us dollars to twenty thousand four hundred. that's a nice jump what's also interesting is that the last PSA 7, so now we're comparing PSA 7 to SGC 7, sold for 21600 at the end of this August. So really only about $1,200 more, which to me, again, is another decent sign for SGC that, at least in this case, the gap isn't as huge as we've seen it between like a Cole Caulfield Young Guns, right? PSA 10, SGC 10, the gap is huge. Makes sense in that SGC is more known for vintage, but... They need to continue to build their credibility in hockey. Last one I want to mention is not vintage. It's a 2015 The Cup, Connor McDavid, Honorable Numbers, RPA out of 97. A BGS 9.510 Pop 2 sold for 16200 US dollars with the buyer's premium. This is not even close to the highest 2015 The Cup sale for any McDavid card, which currently sets at 228000 for his regular rookie RPA PSA 10 out of 99. I don't know, Troy, if you have seen the honorable numbers. So it's a patch card where the die, the cutout for the patch is a nine and a seven is basically the player's jersey. Yeah, number. I, have, I have seen them. This one, so there, it's not autographed or is it? It is autographed. Well, that's it's an RPA. Am I, am I, I mean, I'm not the greatest on high end stuff, but doesn't 16,200 seem low? It is low. Like, really low? I just don't know if these are, they must not be that. Sought after. Yeah, I somebody can reach out to us that knows the cup or uh, maybe David or somebody like that and, and educate us a little bit more. Here's what's crazy, though. So hold your thought for a second. The previous high sale for this card was so there's 97 of them for any BGS 9.510 was 13,500 in January in 2019. Just comparing previous high to current high, you go hmm. from 13,500 US dollars to 16,2. But the exact same card sold in the PWCC premier auction in June for 8400 The exact card. Yeah, I was going to say, like you're saying the exact same serial numbered card. Wow. I compared the serial numbers, wow. right? So it went from 8400 in June to sixteen two in October. Don't. Man, that, that's crazy. I was going to say, you know, June. I wonder when it was sold in June. Was it the end of June? It just seems like a bad time to sell a... 
team that got knocked out of the playoffs. And <laughs> I don't know. I just, I know it seems like an odd timing to sell that one, but that's how crazy. Do we, uh, call, how do we call June, Josh, and Troy on these microphones and tell them to move some stocks around and buy a <laughs> McDavid Cup yeah. RPA for 8000 bucks? Yeah, I don't know exactly why it's not. But that was my first thought is how can this be 16 2 when, and again, it's out of 97, whereas regular RPA is out of 99, but there's 10 or so sales all time of this card. Mm-hmm. So, and there, and this was definitely the highest. I think overall, though, when you look at these three sales and the strength of some of the other cards in there, feel like a little bit like a broken record, but with all the fear and negativity negativity out there, it is, I think, another decent sign that the hockey hobby is in okay overall shape. You know, just like we talked about last episode, reviewing the golden auction results, the high end of the market I get is not totally representative of the entire market, but I do think that these sales are important and that they give collectors in the hobby confidence. Right. So if we see Gretzky rookies or or rookies or how rookies start to lose 20, 30, 40 percent, that's going to matriculate right down to the most cider young guns or the Dawson Mercer kind of level. Right. Because this is the general because these sales are so public, they get so much attention. And and so, you know, even though very few people ourselves not included can afford these cards they the sales are important what what do you think of that did i onto something or on something no i think you're onto something it's definitely kind of a trend that i i hope keeps going that we like to see i don't want to see the 20 percent to 30 percent decline that some other sports have seen on their high-end stuff definitely not no okay let's move quickly into local card show shout outs Want to start with, remember, we're doing these on every Thursday episode now, so we want to shout out any local card show that is hockey. We want to give back to the hobby, help to increase foot traffic into card shows. So whether you follow us on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or wherever, send us show information. The more information you send, the better. And we'll add those to our list and are happy to shout them out. So here's ones from Discord user Taiwan On, uh, also on Instagram. Uh, for from the bench so it looks like a couple people submitted this one it's the halifax sports card and memorabilia show saturday october 29th from 9 a.m to 1 p.m the halifax forum in halifax nova scotia maybe like a two dollar entrance fee we're a little fuzzy on that so you might want to try to look into that looks like 150 tables or so so decent show that's for sure and then from one of our show supporters in case it's reed on discord the nashville card show the nash national <laughs> they oh, call it the cute. national <laughs> yeah n-a-s-h dash i-o-n-a-l is friday october 8th through sunday october 30th expo 3 building at the nashville fairgrounds nashville tennessee 770 tables yep crazy that's a big one um yeah i was trying to think it, it i can't remember how many tables are at the national obviously the national is a different thing the national the n-a-s-h one right that's a big show and again october 28th through the 30th okay it, there might be an entrance fee. You have to search on Google or look at their Facebook page to see. Yeah, there uh, there is an entrance fee. I just didn't feel like trying to write down all the different levels, VIPs. Just Google it. You'll find it. It's a big show. You committed to the show, Troy? <laughs> okay, speaking of card shows, I'm looking at the date on my computer here. I show, as of right now, we are 15 days away from right. being at the Toronto Sport Card Expo. Could not be more excited. Very pumped. I have a mission now. It's always good in life to have a direction and a mission. I'm going to get my Peter Stastny <laughs> OPG 1981-82 PSA 9. Arm Russell, whoever for that. But 
to help us better understand what to expect at the show and to give you all a bunch of great information, whether you're planning on going or thinking of going yesterday, I think, yeah, yesterday we had the opportunity to talk with Mikey Singer who puts on the show and and helps. He doesn't own it, but he manages the whole show. Had a lot of great information. So we're going to go ahead and play that interview for you now. Okay, we are super excited to be joined by Mikey Singer with the Toronto Sports Expo, which I think as of the day we're recording this, just over two weeks away. How's it going, Mikey? Going great. Uh, As I was saying to you guys, I was just down at the venue making sure everything is going to flow perfectly. Troy and I are super pumped uh, obviously have never been to the expo. So I think a lot of our questions are going to come out a, a little bit from a newbie perspective. And and we also want to get perspective for folks that come through the U.S. especially and what are some of the important stuff, I guess, for us to know about. And so maybe as a good starting place, I think it'd be helpful if you wouldn't mind giving us a brief history and I maybe scope or size of the expo. So uh, we'll start with the brief history. The show has been probably one of the largest, longest running uh, card shows in North America. It's been going strong for, oh, I think almost 30 years now. And it happens twice a year and has happened that way for its entire existence. I actually visited the show when I was a 12 year old uh, as my wow. first card show ever. So I, I've seen, I've seen it grow and change and, and, uh, and obviously turn from really a hockey-centric tables-only show to what it is now, which is the second largest show in North America. Really, the the only one that's in front of it is the National, and, and you'll get a lot of National vibes from this in terms of the, the presence of a lot of the, the corporate partners and things like that, and just the amount of tables that we have at the show. The show encompasses 150,000 square feet, so it is a it's a massive show, two halls plus the hallway. Uh, we have an incredible lineup of special guests that are coming in. Uh, uh, and if you're hockey centric, which I know your crowd is, uh, they're going to love who we have in as, as special guests, uh, and we can dive into that a little bit yeah. more. And yeah, it's it's a really fun environment, great place uh, for all collecting. But obviously, being Canada, it's it's definitely got a hockey tinge to it. And I think that's what's got us so pumped is our show is newer, of course, and we're just getting more, I guess, indoctrinated into the the hobby and all the events around it. And we haven't been to the national yet either. But what we've heard from people, not only just this past national, but throughout the history, is that hockey is a tiny sliver of what you would find there. And that if that the expo is the mecca for hockey collectors. It's the biggest show you'll see in the world. And uh, I'm assuming that you're not going to crash our hopes and, and disagree with that statement. No, I'm not. And not only that, Upper Deck, who is the licensee of NHL sure. hockey cards, is there in a major way. Uh, doing releases, greeting fans, really getting interactive. Uh, it's got a great stage. You're, you're As a hockey collector... You're going to feel in heaven from the minute you walk into those doors to the minute you walk at that show. Perfect. So I just want to cover real quickly too, sort of the details of the show. It's November 10th through the 13th, right? It is. And so the 10th is our VIP night. So you will need a VIP ticket to get into that. And that runs uh, from four to eight on that first night. And we got some special stuff going on there, some giveaways, um, some exclusive panels that we're, we're hosting. So 
Uh, really interesting, an interesting night that we just started two shows ago. Uh, and then that runs really for, for the rest of the audience, it runs Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Gotcha. And what are the general hours on Friday, Saturday, Sunday? I can tell you. So uh, it is 11 to 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. on the Friday, uh, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. on the Saturday, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. on the Sunday. Okay, and now this is our big test because we had a, a little bit of <laughs> trouble pronouncing the, uh, the the city initially, and we practiced last week, and it's of course in Mississauga, right? Yeah, Which no, is you, a third. You it. There we go. You, Josh, you you crushed that. Yeah, it's in Mississauga. Um, which is a suburb of Toronto. It'd be like if you went to Chicago and, and the show's in Rosemont, right? Same, same idea. Yeah, yeah, I made the decision to not say it anymore since I botched it so bad. I just let Josh handle that now. <laughs> well, and here's, the, here's the super embarrassing part about this is we're Minnesotans where literally every name in the state is has a Native American heritage to it. And so for us to bomb Mississauga that bad, it's honestly, it's a big L. But I didn't hear you bomb it, right? As far as I know, and as far as I've heard right now in this brief conversation, you crushed it. So yeah, we, we did the Mississauga, which oh, I've heard. I, I, that, I was worried that was going to come out this time, yeah. but you, you got it all right. Yeah. You got it all right. What percentage of attendees are from the U.S.? Do you have any idea? I'd say about twenty percent. Okay, come from from across to the from the USA, and, and not just attendees, but exhibitors as well. Gotcha. Is there anything new this year that oh, maybe? Oh, people, yeah. uh, what are some of the highlights? Well, we got our brand new hallway. We've got new activations. So there's a tabletop uh, tabletop hockey tournament that's going on. Uh, which is the Ooh. pro league. They're coming in with some pro players to do some demos. We'll be putting that up on the stage, but again, letting people go in and interact with it. Uh, we have a hall of fame racing exhibit, which is brand new to the show. We're working in conjunction with the, the hall of fame in Canada, and they're bringing in a couple F1 cars. They're bringing in race worn uh, suits, uh, race suits. They're bringing in race worn helmets, we also have a couple F1 driver or drivers who are coming in and Lindsay Brewer, who's a driver and an influencer inside that sport, sport for meet and greets. There's, um, there's also a, a driving, um, a drive simulator, an F1 drive simulator inside nice. there. We have a bit, like I said, bigger space than we've ever had before. Uh, we have a grading area, which is a grading zone, which we've never had within the show. Inside the grading zone, we have TAG, PSA Canada, uh, BGS is going to be there, Mint is going to be there, KSA is going to be there. And I'm sure you're you're familiar with KSA and Mint, yep. which, some, which do a lot of hockey card grading. Mm-hmm. They're, they're Canadian companies, so you'll see those on, especially KSA on some of the, the higher-end hockey cards. So again, just just something to to think about that's brand new to the event, and then obviously, not obviously, but always we have new uh, companies and vendors that are coming in. So look out for new apps. That's what I've seen in the last four years. I've seen a gigantic explosion of apps that are centered on on the hobby itself. Whether it's something like Center Stage, I don't know if you guys have mm-hmm. seen that. Um, you know, apps along those and, and we can get more into to what's happening there. But I think one of the biggest things, like I said, is that those two activations that I talked about and then stuff like that, that grading, uh, that grading area, which is brand new to the event. 
That's not a surprise. And I think it fits the general theme that we've been hearing over the last few months in that you look at the last couple of years just in the sports card market and how much money has begun to flow in as the values have gotten real serious for a mm-hmm. lot of cards, that that's brought a lot of corporate and investor and innovation into the hobby. And so maybe where, and you'd have to, where we've heard that most shows were almost like a flea market 10, 15, even years ago vibe, where now you're getting more of a corporate trade show. And, you know, there's a lot more production, a lot more activities and events centered around and experiences centered around the show. Is that a, accurate? It's a, it's 100% accurate. And I, and I don't need to look any further than our title sponsor eBay and, and what they've done at the event. So, you know, and it's not even 15 years ago. Let's talk about five, six years ago before the absolute crazy boom uh, in the hobby. It was only then starting to change only, you know, then that you started to see some of these different companies coming in and really investing inside the space. Uh, you know, Fanatics, for example, was was investing heavily into the sports space. They weren't into cards mm-hmm. yet, but they were investing into the sports space. So they started coming out to the show. Upper Deck, as we said, was always a, a great partner. Um, but eBay, as I was just talking about before, they went from a 10 by 20 small info booth to hand out free giveaways to a massive presence within the show, title sponsorship. They're doing pack opening with kids. They do two, three eBay kids breaks over the, the course of the show always with the release of the new series uh, of hockey. Yep. So they do two boxes or, or a half a case in each of these breaks. So again, eBay taking it and seeing like, you know, we do sell a lot of things, but a huge part of our business comes from the sports card market. We better start investing in it. So we've seen that, as I said, they become our title sponsor. They're doing a ton of really cool stuff inside their booth, not just supporting the consumer side, but also the seller side. So they do a lot of, uh, mm-hmm. seller outreach to talk to them to how to like teach them how to better their sales on side their store how to work within the system so really neat in that regards as well yeah so it seems like it's kind of a, a neat environment where we're going to get a mix of large corporate partners like the ebays of the world but then you're still going to have uh local dealers or guys that just want to come up and set up a table and sh- and sell and trade for some of their cards right hundreds of them Hundreds upon hundreds of, of, of local dealers and dealers who came from just outside of the, the local area. Again, looking to trade, sell, buy. I've never been at a show before. We do, you know, my business is doing trade shows. And so uh, my passion happens to be sports cards. And Steve happened to be my first client when I opened up my shop. But uh, I, I can say that it is the one show where more business almost gets done before the doors open. <laughs> Than, than when the doors are open. You know, the dealers are buying and selling. And I, I think that's what a lot of people don't realize is how much buying and selling happens amongst the dealers. How many dealers are you expecting this year? Uh, I think it's like 450. Wow. If not more, it's massive. It, like I said, we had to get a second haul for the, for the first time in the show's history. Are there any lingering COVID issues or restrictions that people need to know about, especially coming from the U.S.? or? Well, please don't come in if you have COVID. Uh, secondly, I, again, you'd have to check the the most recent travel rules into Canada. Sure. I think you still may need a, a, P, a clear PCR test or a clear COVID test. If I even, it's, I don't think it even is PCR anymore. I think it's just okay. a rapid test that needs to be cleared. And again, I, I don't want to state it because it's rapidly changing, but most COVID restrictions have been lifted. Most, if not all. The travel across to Canada, again, 
I would have to look into that and I will send you guys an email right after, after I reach out to my team. (laughs) They're going to beat me up on in discord after I tell them that I didn't remember this, but yeah, I'll let you know. And and your listeners know what the the rules are uh, in terms of crossing the border. This must be kind of a big relief then. I'm sure the last couple of years have been difficult trying to put on a show and navigate all the issues. June was pretty easy. June was pretty easy. November of, 2021 was a totally different ballgame, right? We had to pre-screen all, all entrants coming in. So it was really line up to line up then again to get into the show. So we were even out in the hallway try, or out in the, the parking lot trying to pre-screen people as quickly as possible. Again, you never want people to wait to get in, but we did want everyone to feel safe and comfortable. It was really the first show back and actually things shut down again not too long after that. Oh, wow. So it sounds like you just were able to squeeze it in in a short we window. We, there was like a four-week period where big shows were open again in Ontario. We squeezed in the event. They shut it down again. And and then only a few months later, things were, were starting to get back to normal. And now, honestly, it's 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 much like any other place. Uh, you really have very limited restrictions now. I want to kind of transition because I think it's a pretty impressive list and I'm sure a big draw to the show, but we did have a question from one of our gong show discord users and he wanted to know, how did you get the, uh, his name is 419 sports guy. How did you get the amazing autograph lineup to, to come into place? And, um, you know, he says he would put this lineup against any other sports signing event in past history, which I guess is high praise for the work that, that you've done. And and he wants to, I guess his last part is, you know, is the intention for you guys to keep upping your game as far as who you get and bring in from, from a guest perspective? Yeah, so this, this is a conscious effort by the owner to really up the quality that we have inside the autograph and, and meet and greet area. So you're going to see it's very similar in terms of number of guests that we have as in years previous. The difference is the quality of guests, you know, whether it's Matt mm-hmm. Sundin, or putting together the 72 guys, or getting the Legion of Doom line together for photo ops and things like that. So we've worked really hard to bring in cool, interesting guests. Ricky Henderson's coming in. Timu Solani's coming in. Uh, if you're a fan of Slapshot, you're going to have six cast members coming in doing a Q&A and, and doing some signing. So again, we wanted to make it fun, interesting, up the quality of guests so that everyone who's coming in really gets to feel like they've met one of their, their all-time heroes. Um, what's also cool is we do a lot of Q&As. So unlike mm-hmm. some of the other shows, it's not just about having the guests in. We want to get them up for a 10, 15-minute uh, chat, talk about their careers, talk about some funny stories. Uh, we really try to make it something different than you'd hear on the TSN or something like that. So Sure. Uh, it's a lot it's a lot of fun. It's something that has been consciously invested in over the last five years to bring it up to the point that you're gonna see when you come on site. And uh, obviously they'll be signing autographs too, and you can go to it's sports card sportscardexpotoronto.com, dot com, right? And sport get ticket card, sport, sport card. card. Drop sport that at sportcardexpo.com. Uh, you can pre-purchase all autographs that you're looking for. Uh, if it is a bigger player and there are still fast passes available, do yourself a favor. Grab a fast pass. Like, and unless you kinda, want to wait for a long time. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask. I assumed it's like the Disney concept where you get to go to the front right line. Yeah. Well, well, the law, then we limit the, the sale of them. 
And the truth is, honestly, we process everyone. We try to make sure my team works very hard to make sure everyone's happy. Everyone gets to see the guests that they purchased a ticket for. Uh, everyone gets to have a, a great experience. Yeah. Some will do lean in, some won't. Uh, but we promise a great experience for everyone. Do you really have to purchase those tickets in advance? Like if I showed up to the show and decided I want Dominic Hoshik's autograph, can I get tickets while I'm there? 100%. We sell tickets. You know, it's always easy. You save a little bit of money in your own time. Yeah. Because there always is a lineup. But yeah, you can definitely purchase and, and people 100% purchase on, on site for, you know, a Hasek, which is it's great to have Dominic back again. Um, anyone that you see here, you can still purchase on site as well. Gotcha. And then there's obviously the the merchandise booth where you would purchase those tickets. You can buy you know, pucks and, and photos and things like that as well. Troy had a question. Troy, do you want to ask your question about kind of making how they create the experience for everyone? Yeah, I just you kind of hit on it a little bit. I was curious, how do you kind of make the experience meaningful for everyone involved, whether it be collectors, dealers, corporate sponsors, just kind of you have all these different entities and how do you kind of cater to each one? Is it different? Like, are there different locations for each one or just the experience? I know I, the reason I kind of brought this up, I know from the national, we heard a lot of feedback from, it was really loud where like the breakers were and people didn't like that. And I just, just curious kind of with that and how you bring all these different groups and make it, one big experience and make sure they all get what they want out of it. So I think the key is placement, right? So as you just said, if you're going to have a loud group of people, try to keep them into a loud group of people area, right? Where people are looking for that experience. Um, Because if you have breakers interspersed around, you know, individual tables, it becomes a lot harder for those tables to talk and sell. Um, the The other part is, you know, put the consumer first. Right at the end of the day, we want our stakeholders to be happy, and the way that they're best best served and, and best kept happy is by having great attendants and great attendees who are coming in with smiles on their faces, having a good experience. So we really try to tailor the show to them and and plan out around that. And the second part is, uh, oh, sorry, this is the third part is uh, again just good flow. Right. So the flow of the traffic has to be great. And as long as everyone is seeing people come through, they're typically happy. And then community like for, for some of the biggest guys, I mean, communication, like the final part of that for our stakeholders is communication, making sure they know what's going on, making sure they're aware of everything that's happening. And if any concerns are coming up that we can now handle them and, and put them to bed well before the show comes on to site. Totally makes sense. Just kind of curious about yourself, you know, when you look at what's your favorite part of the show? My favorite part? Yeah. Shopping. <laughs> I like I like buying cards. I like All right. that and I and I get to do some QA. So uh we haven't had uh, a real uh we haven't had a real host for, for a little bit now. Uh, I'm interviewing a couple for this year, but we may not even have one again for this year. So Likely, I end up getting to do the player Q and A's, which I love, and I do kid giveaways. So, like, oh, uh, we have a bunch of uh, partners who give us some giveaways, whether it's boxes or or like um, uh, different surprise gifts or mystery boxes. Within you know, one kid pulled the Kale McCarr uh, Future Watch PSA ten uh, at the show two years ago. So it was crazy. It was awesome. He went. He knew right away. He knew actually before he opened the box. I can't remember. I think it's Player's Choice 
I have to look at the the company that, that gives us these these boxes. Um, so he opened it up and he just he just went mental. He wasn't even caring at first until he saw Caleb McCarr, and then he just burst out. He pulls up the card. So doing giveaways like that and creating memories with the kids is really fun. Um, actually, what I do with a lot of my comments because I like to bust a bunch of boxes whenever I get a chance or the money to. Sure. So I put up the comments and the rookies I don't want, and I put them into mix pack, and and neighborhood kids come by and they grab a pack of oh fun of team team pack of cards for me. So that it's all about making new new uh, collectors. My mind is continually blown by kids in this hobby. Where I think back to when I was ten years old. And I would open up a pack of uh, baseball cards or hockey cards, and I my mindset would be, "Oh, I like that helmet. That's kind of that's kind of cool." Or this, or that's a funny name. Kids these days, they come in with their like Zion cases, and they have twenty two thousand dollars worth of cards in them, and they're no <laughs> joke. And they're they're wheeling and dealing. And I think I just love watching that. I think it's amazing to see. Well, it's funny. Like when I went to a show in the nineties, no one had a case, no one had a backpack. Yeah. No one had slabs, right? So now kids are coming in with cases, roll cases, suitcases, backpacks, and inside is a bunch of slabs, as you said. They know their value, and they're either trying to sell or or up or trade. So it's really fun and funny to see that, and that's a totally different vibe than when I was like, I first started collecting. Is there any, uh, you know, it's probably... Do you guys have future plans for the show? Like, where do you see this show going in the in the years ahead? Do you think it keeps getting bigger, be more yeah. experiential, or so both both those? So one, we're looking for more experiences. So we have partners like Whatnot and Drip and, and places like that that and, and eBay, as I just said, who's our title sponsor, who are don't doing more experiential things within their booths, which is always great because that allows people to see and touch. Even tag grading is coming in with their. They have their their mm-hmm. rating booth, but they also have a booth just to showcase the software. So I love seeing that, and I do expect more and more of that to come in. Second part is I do expect it to grow. You know, every year there's about 50 to 60 vendors who just can't get in. There's just not wow. enough space for them. We are adding things like trade night and other things to try, like satellite events to try to incorporate all of them. We don't mm-hmm. want it to be too big where we don't have enough attendance to cover it all. We want everyone to feel like they're really part of the event. So we don't, so we're really trying to, to do that. And as it continues to grow, like we just talked about it, there's kids now who have gotten into the hobby in the last four years. And that continues like that pipeline continues to grow. Even as price of cards drop, there's still more and more kids getting into the hobby. There's more and more people get into the hobby. It isn't just about, um, you know, making a quick buck or anything like that. We probably lost some people who came in at the beginning of the pandemic, quick flippers and things like that. But there's a lot more kids who followed along with their, their parents who got back into the mm-hmm. hobby and now they're involved in it. So I see a lot more dads and, and kids coming through the show and really collecting together. And I hadn't seen that in a few years. When I know that you have all sports represented at the show, but given this is kind of the premier show for hockey, hockey's relative health right now, especially compared maybe to football and basketball and some of the other sports, is a good thing. I think it'll help lift the vibe probably at this show where, you know, maybe other shows that are more football heavy, um, you know, there's a little more fear and stuff like that right now. So it's good timing 
from a hockey perspective, definitely. It is. And, and we talked about this a little bit off air is you didn't see the rampant speculation inside the hockey market. You didn't see the thousand fold price increases you did in, in some of like basketball, F1, soccer, in, in some of the other sports. So it really didn't, it, it, it grew along with everything else. It just didn't explode. And as mm-hmm. you said as well, it's very much, it's a niche, it's a much more niche market and it's much more collector driven. You know, and but, I think the print runs in general are smaller. Definitely. And, and that's what's exciting to us. So, you know, we're in Minnesota, which has a very strong hockey culture, of course. It's, I would argue, it's the closest thing to Canada in the U.S. It's not, it is in Canada. We're not trying to, but if you needed an approximate, we would probably be the closest to it. And Troy and I go to a lot of local shows here, and we're amazed at how little hockey there is. There will be like, two guys with half of a case of hockey and we just look at each other and like, what is going on? Where are the hockey vendors and dealers? And so, you know, couldn't be more excited to come to a show that is going to have obviously a a lot more than that. And and I want to use this as a point to transition for, from both. And I think we'll cover both sellers and buyers or in attendees and kind of get some advice and tips from you on how to have the best and most successful experience at the show. So we'll start from our perspective as attendees and buyers. Just off the bat, what are, what are the top tips that or things that we should keep in mind to make sure that we're maximizing uh, our opportunity and time at the expo? Uh, for, first and foremost, uh, come with a plan, right? There's a lot on the floor. So if you, you know, if you're just coming and saying, I want to buy hockey cards, you're going to probably be overwhelmed. But if you're like, I need these three pieces for my collection and go hunt there, you will find them. And that will stop you from, you know, again, losing focus, not, not really getting what you came there for, but getting a bunch of other stuff. So again, cash is always king. Yep. So it can come with cash. It's always better than e-transfers. It's always better than PayPal, things like that, because there's no fees. So you can always get a, a little bit of a better deal. Uh, know your comps too, right? Like know your comps beforehand. Don't try to comp anything. Like if you know you're looking for a specific, as we said, if you plan ahead yeah. and know you're looking for these 10 pieces, know your comps on them. Understand that, you know, it might be a little bit of negotiating to get to that comp price or a little bit under it. And then finally, uh, come prepared to, to walk a lot. It's a huge show. Right? Yeah. Like, don't come laden with luggage and things like that. Bring your stuff. Make sure it's portable. Make sure you're wearing comfortable shoes uh, because you're going to be walking back and forth. Like I said, it's 150,000 square feet. Lots for you to see and do there at the show. So make sure you're ready to, to stay on. There's food inside the, the hall. There's water inside the hall. So you don't need to worry about that. In the hallways, free Wi-Fi. Outside, like inside the hall itself, it's not free Wi-Fi. So, but your phone service will work perfectly. Because gotcha. I heard some complaints about that at the national for comps. Yeah. that's not going to be a problem. Promise everyone, you'll be able to still comp, still use your cards, still use your scanners, whatever you need. Um, and outside in the in the hall where we've got the two halls connected, that's free Wi-Fi as well. Would you recommend going back to the cash thing real quick for guys like Troy and I who are coming from the U.S.? Would you recommend we do currency conversion? 
if you can come with some cash beforehand, the the currency conversion in in the airport it depends where you do it, right? Either the bank or the airport will probably grab you for a bit. So if you've got, you know, I mean, people, how about this? People will take American cash happily. Okay. Gotcha. Like, and, and so much of the card business is done in U.S. dollars that you won't even have to worry. No one's going to say no. No Canadian is going to be like, no, sorry, I can't take your U.S. They'll be like, yes, please. Thank you. Especially with the way the Canadian U.S. dollar is, is parroting now. Again, know your conversion rates, right? Yeah. So if you're paying in U.S. dollars, and again, you yeah. can just say, it makes no difference, right? So whether the card Canadian US, the comp you can find out in US dollars very easily on on eBay. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying eBay is the only way place to find comps. I'm just saying it's the best place to find comps. Mm-hmm. Any tips for people walking around like that with your collections or in cash and valuable or you know making keeping things safe and secure? Yeah, keep it on keep it on your person. Right. Keep it close to you. That's why I say, you know, travel as lightly as you can. So you're not sitting there lugging two rolling bags. Right. Which is is hard for you and hard for the other people in the hallway. It's a pretty it's honestly Toronto is a pretty safe city. You're going to be in a really safe environment, but be safe. You know, if you're you're leaving stuff in the hotel, for instance, make sure you use the hotel site. Uh, If you're on site, don't you know, and you're, you're packing your cards, don't leave them loose on top of your backpack, especially your best cards, right? Make it a little, a little harder for someone to come into your stuff than just unzipping the backpack and reaching in. So again, Mm -hmm. like anything else in groups of crowds, make sure. And hell, if I'm walking around with four or $5,000 cash, you better be sure it's in a fanny pack around my waist sitting in front. So again, safety is key. Anything on your back, you know, easily entered for, for someone. So the more secure you can make it, the better. Understanding that you want to have easy access to it, but you know, yeah. it, it take, take if it takes you two extra minutes to get it out because c- you kept it secure at a booth, no problem. Though, mm-hmm. especially if you've got something good to show them. Okay, Troy, do you have any other buyer or attendee questions before we switch over to more of a seller tips? No, you hit all the ones I had for buyers. One okay. more note on the, on the, like, if you're coming to sell, like, as an attendee, because yeah. are we switching to selling? Because yeah, sell, yeah, sellers yeah. and then selling. Very good point. Very good point. I'm, I'm glad. And there is a distinction that is important. So, go uh, interested to what you have to say on that. So, just again, if you're coming to sell, so you've got your own personal collection and you want to sell to dealers, know a couple factors. So, we were talking about comps and things like that. That's for, that's great for buying, for selling. Understand that when you're going to sell a card to a dealer, they're not going to pay comp. And the reason is they have overhead costs that they have to consider, as well as fluctuation in price and the the idea of how quickly they can turn that around. So if you're looking to sell your whole collection and you think you can get exactly comp, you know, you're probably going to have some tough time doing that, especially in a volatile market like we're in. Go in with expectations of getting 30, 30% less or 20% less in comp is a, is a pretty fair number to stick at. And again, do your research beforehand. So you're not surprised by what the dealer or never get offended, right? This whole thing is a negotiation going, uh, hoping that you can turn it around, but understand that if you walk back out with the stuff you collected that you love, no big deal. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. You're not going to get top of the market. 
selling your card to someone who needs to turn that card around and make a profit on it, as well as cover their their overhead. And so know your audience a little yes, bit is, is important. You know, the other thing that we've talked about a little bit, given that our the economy is not super great right now, there is a little bit of worry and fear in the sports car market. So if you're looking to, from a buyer's perspective, some of the tips that we've been giving are going with cash versus trade that, you know, cash, like you said, is going to be king. If you need to sweeten the pot a little bit, maybe on a trade with cash, I assume that that dealers that are set up with tables are going to get trade offers galore, but they probably want cash more, more, more than the trade. And so you might have to overpay a little bit in a trade, so to speak, to get the card that you want back in return from from a dealer and um and so if you do have some cash you, you know the flip side of that is you should have some pretty strong negotiating power too that is and that, and that's the big thing right as you said Josh they're looking for cash and if you are going for a straight trade you are going to probably have to overpay on the trade in terms of value right because again they're assuming the risk it's something that you want they're not coming to the show to trade they're coming to either buy or they're coming to sell yep Okay, let's let's switch over to the dealers real quick. And I think this is really good for because all this, whether you're they're setting up anyone who's listening, setting up at the expo or you're doing a local card show can probably benefit from some of the wisdom that you've learned over the years and your involvement with the with the Toronto Expo. And, you know, what are you think are the key tips or ideas or reminders that you would give to any dealer that's setting up at the show? So I think, uh, again, it's, it's about uh, finding your focus. So don't try to be everything to everyone. So if you, if you collect basketball and baseball, bring those, bring those items in. Uh, if you have high-end items, make sure you have a case, right? Don't, mm-hmm. don't put a $10,000 card just on a table and expect that the, the goodness of people, no one will make that go missing. Put it inside a case. Uh, most stuff is going to be pretty safe. I've, I've worked and ran uh, boost at a, a bunch of different shows. I've even sold my entire table. Um, and trying to come in, like we just said, that a ton of people are bringing in hockey into this. You know, if everyone's zigging zag, right? So maybe bring in high-end basketball, high-end sure. football to the show. Or And and for me, when I went to a show in Montreal and I knew everyone was going to have hockey and I don't have the best hockey, I went in with basketball and basically anyone 20 and under came over to my booth to talk to me. So that worked well for me. Uh, stand up, engage people, right? It's far too often mm-hmm. people think that your collection will just sell for themselves. It's a lot of new people in the hobby. A lot of people have a lot of questions. Make yourself as available and engaging as possible and you will do better. And then make sure you have stuff at all different price levels, right? So it's great. It's great if you're just looking to, to do super high end and you may get a couple sales. But if you're really looking to move product, have 10, 5, $20 boxes, right? That, that people love to flip through. I mean, that's part of the fun of going through the show. Yeah. So make sure you have those boxes set up so that people can. And then again, don't be afraid to make deals, right? Mm-hmm. And, and finally, check your comps. I know I keep saying this for every single person, but the price is changing all the time. Like you should be pricing two, three days before the show so that you're as close to comp as, as you can possibly be. Maybe you want to price really high and negotiate down my theory is price as close as you can to the to the actual current price and then work from there. Yeah, I would echo that. And, you know, this is stuff that we've just 
heard a lot from people. And number one, know your prices. So it's kind of annoying when you go to a dealer and you're interested in a car and you ask them what they're asking for it. And they have to sit there on their phone for six minutes trying to figure out what what they want to sell it for. And I, and I, I think the second thing, and we talked a little bit about this off air, is there's a lot of volatility in the market right now. I would suggest don't bring cards that are worth $1,000 that you're into it for $2,000. you are not going to get $2,000 for a $1,000 card. And it's really off-putting, actually, when people walk by and they see something that's ridiculously priced. It makes me not trust the pricing of that dealer. And I, I tend, and I'm just giving my own, you guys can agree or disagree, I tend to just walk away. It's mm-hmm. like, this is insane. There's no way I'm even going to put energy into this person is asking $300 for a $75 card. Because you know there's such a gap that we may never get there. And then the other thing is, no one cares what you paid for the card. Right? They don't care. Joe Schmo off the street didn't know you paid for it. They know that the card is worth $1,000. So if you can't take the haircut or you don't want to free up the thing, don't expect people to pay what you paid three months ago, two months ago. It's just this is what the current market is. Just mm-hmm. like the person who might have sold it the first time at $100 before it shot up to $2,000 can not get that money back. No one cares on the drop. So it's really about being as close to comps, especially when people have sold. This isn't the 90s again, right, where you can set a price and they only have a month-old Beckett guide to go from. <laughs> this is the information age where it takes a quick scan of a phone uh, uh, on your phone to see exactly what the most recent comps are. Well, and there was an opportunity, you know, at that time, too, you, you you had no concept of how readily available or accessible any card was, right? So the thing in the back of your mind was, well, geez, they're asking a little bit more than it's worth, but I don't know when I'm going to see this card again. Now, for in most cases, especially on cards that aren't really limited or low serial number, it's like, you know, if it's a Kirill Kaprizov Young Guns, and you're asking $100 more than it's worth, I can get that card all by it all day long in 400 different places. That's it. You're right. You are competing against the world now in the card market. Now you get fees and things like that and shipping that you get to, like that's that's where the gap sort of comes in, especially especially Canadians, right? Like I buy a bunch from the U.S. paying duties and and the exchange rate. So there is there is some wiggle room, but yeah, the, this is this is the thing. You are in a world market now, whether you are mm-hmm. a local card shop or a person who's got a table. You're competing against people across the world. I also should mention that you guys are crazy for doing this, but the Gong Show is going to be speaking on a panel, hockey card related panel, and so we're excited about that. If anyone plans on attending the show and wants to come hear us speak, it's tentatively planned at this point for. Saturday, which would be is at the 12th at 4.15 local time in Mississauga. I'm just going to keep saying it because I get it right every time now. Yeah, And just to be clear, you're not tentatively. You're locked in. All right, we're locked in. On the main stage uh, for a hockey hobby talk. Hobby hockey talk. Wow, that's a mouthful. I keep messing it up. With a couple other, with a couple of great creators. Uh, Really excited to see you both up on the stage. Yeah, have you noticed, I'm kind of curious too, just, uh, and this is maybe a little bit of self-serving question from our perspective, but how has 
the whole content creation aspect changed over the last couple of years? That's incredibly different. There's far more content creators than there ever was. There's a far more diverse group. So for the longest time, the only content creators were breakers, right? Sure. <laughs> there break shows on YouTube, right? That's even, even Pac-Man, who's probably one of the largest yeah. content creators, basically does breaks. Goes yeah. to a couple shows, basically does breaks. That's what he does. Now you have people like sports card investor, dealer, yeah. uh, seller, who's so I've been watching him since he had a thousand followers. Now he's up to fifty thousand followers. Crazy. Uh, you have sports card investor who does um, really slick videos and has really brought it more of a corporate feel to it. Uh, you have chasing cardboard who's really about storytelling. So. There's a mm-hmm. lot more inside that. And then you have a lot more people who are like slab stocks who are, are really talking about the financial side of the market too. So yeah, uh, it's a little bit, of, it's a, it's been a huge explosion and a lot more female creators as well in the space, which is nice to see um, like she breaks or Don Diego. Um, so I, I spend a lot of time on YouTube. Uh, if you couldn't tell by this quick runoff yeah. of everything I watch. Um, so it's really cool uh, stuff that's really going on there. And it's good information, right? Like it's it, it really reminds me of the fantasy sports world, which I also okay. play a lot of 10 years mm-hmm. ago. Gotcha. That's what I that's the best thing I could liken to where there was some small hardcore fantasy channels to now there was a giant proliferation of fantasy shows. Well, when I make. Oh, go ahead. No, no, that was it. I was done. Now okay. you go ahead. I, I was just going to say what I'm what I'm expecting is to see lots of cameras out on the show floor. And one of the reminders that I want to give to people, if you are creating content, you know, don't just stick your camera on somebody's face. Ask them if you mind if you record before you do that, because not everybody wants to be on YouTube or on an Instagram reel or TikTok video or something like that. No, and, and some of them don't want you recording their cash deals. Right. Or anything like that. It's always I think that's a good note for life is don't stick your camera in someone's face before asking them if that's cool. Right. That's that's just a general rule that you should follow for anything. But uh, I think that's a great point, Josh. Uh, and, and and you see it right. Like you are going to see <laughs> everywhere. I love it when they the newest creator stops in the middle of the the doorway and you're like, no, man. Oh, I cannot shoot right here. There's 10,000 people trying to get in. You got to get out of the way. Yeah. I know yeah. it looks good in the entrance way, but you got to move. Mm-hmm. So there is, there's going to be a ton, a ton of collect, uh, content creators there. And uh, I think that, yeah, that's a great piece of advice. All right. That's kind of all I had. Troy, do you have any other questions before we wrap up and kind of reiterate uh, all the need to knows for the show for everybody? No, most of my questions, Mikey, you were so well prepared that you answered <laughs> the couple other questions I had written down. I don't like, think this well, is a... <laughs> well, I'm like, I don't I'm think like, this is the first interview. Yeah, I was like, cross that one off, cross that one off. Um, <laughs> I guess I do have a question. Is there a lot of wax that's sold, like sealed product? Sure, yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, Grizzly Sports Card, literally all he does is wax. He okay. Wax. Mm, so there's a, <laughs> there's a ton. I just got actually a Fleer 81. Oh, nice. Pack. I'll be cracking this tonight. Nice. I, I, I buy the crack. <laughs> I, I suck at investing. <laughs> well, like we were at a, sh- a show last weekend, and I was like, I want wax. I'm looking for wax. There was zero. 
I'm like, this is depressing. I'm like, <laughs> I guess I'll you'll just find, save more money for Toronto, I guess. You'll find a ton, you'll find a ton of wax, both vintage and current. Uh, so you'll, you'll be able to really pick your poison on the floor. And obviously the latest uh, Upper Deck release series, I think it's series one that'll be released at that point, hopefully. Yeah, our assumption is, and they wouldn't love, obviously we're in no position to guarantee, but they have... So far, the tentative release date for Series 1 is November 10th, which is oddly coincidental to the start right. of, the, of the expo. <laughs> you know, I'm not a genius, but there are a couple of dots that I'm able to connect. And so uh, I, I think that that's a pretty safe assumption and would be really smart on uh, on their part. Okay, so before we let you go, I just want to reiterate again the details of the show. November 10th through 13th, the 10th is the VIP night, which you need a ticket in advance. Uh, I know from our experience, if you are traveling, there's plenty of hotels in the Mississauga area. I assume the earlier you book, the better that rates and stuff will go up the closer you get to the, the show date. And then you can go to sportcardexpotoronto.com for tickets all show information, tickets to meet or see the guest lineup, which is really impressive. And a couple guys we're pretty excited about. I got Mikey Madano, right? North Stars. And yeah. um, that's a, a fun one for us. Anything else that uh, reminders or details people need to know about the show before Just we let to you know, get back? If you are traveling in and you click on the, the website, there's a hotels button there. So there's two oh, great. hotels that we have. Uh, open blocks with so you'll get a better deal either at the Crown Plaza or the Double Tree, which are both five minutes away from the facility. So it gets awesome. you really close and it gets you a really good rate on the road. Well, Mikey, thanks so much for your time. We definitely appreciate it. Good luck as you are, uh, I guess, working on the finishing touches for the show. And uh, we'll, I'm sure we'll run into you in Toronto in a few weeks. Awesome. Great. It'll be great to meet you both in person. Thanks so much for doing this and uh, looking forward to it, guys. All right. Thanks. I hope everyone enjoyed our conversation with Mikey. Thank you again, Mikey. Uh, Very good information and can't wait to meet you and lots of others at the expo in a couple of weeks. Okay, let's roll into new releases. Not a lot's changed, Troy, since Monday. Like Mikey did mention, though, in the interview, it does appear that Series 1 will ironically, magically, not very surprisingly, correspond its release date with the start of the Expo. I know Upper Deck would never admit to that, but I think it's a pretty safe bet. So that'll be pretty exciting. will be a lot of, of hype leading up to that. And by the looks of how the season starts and just where people's interest is, remember, there's going to be a number of key young guns in Series 1, Matt Boldy, Jack Quinn. Maddie Veneers, Owen Power, Kent Johnson, Noah Cates, and Marco Rossi, just to name a few of the bigger names. Uh, I'm not sure anything other than CHL and the MVP box set, which are still scheduled to come out on November 2nd, that we're going to see anything before Series 1. I would probably doubt it at this point. Okay, you ready to tackle the listener mailbag here? All right, we got big mailbag section. It's awesome. You guys are asking amazing questions. And there's a couple that are head scratchers where you're making us think and hurting our brains. But that's a good thing. It's helping us learn more and grow. We'll kind of alternate here. I'll let you answer the first one. So this first one comes from Gong Show supporter and friend and out of our Discord, 419 Sports Guy. Do you think the hockey card segment is staying steady in terms of value because it is clear of the pump and numbers? from other areas like basketball, football, 
and Marvel Entertainment, all those other brands or types yeah. of cards? Yeah, that's a great question. And I do believe, yes, that is definitely one of the reasons. We've kind of mentioned this, I think, on a series of past shows and even Jeremy Lee and I think other interviewers we have, we've kind of talked about this. We've mentioned on the show that hockey never had the insane run-up that other sports saw. Card that Chris McGill talked about this. And with those insane run-ups, now the market is down in those other sports, obviously maybe because those are pumpers and dumpers and people are getting out and they're selling, which is leading to some pretty big swings, we'll call them. Plus, hockey is a lot more collector driven from what we've seen. And there's always this steady base of collectors out there and buying and keeping that market demand somewhat strong to help regulate wild swings. This isn't to say that hockey will never have wild swings, but right now it seems hockey is definitely a little more insulated because there's not this big pump and dump that we're seeing in these other sports. I keep thinking when you're talking and say pump and dump, if there's any Seinfeld fans, the Art Vandalay <laughs> importer, exporter, can you be a pumper and not a dumper? Or can you be a dumper and not a pumper? I don't know. That's super random and we'll move on. Who do you consider, Troy, the most underrated, overrated, and ready to break out player in the NHL and why? Oh, Another I'm, one from 419 Sports Guy. Yeah, 419 Sports Guy. I, I had to, I'm so bad at these, but I, I mean, I had, I had names pop in my head right away. So I'm going to say underrated, Carter Hart. He's one of those guys that I think he's a product of being on some bad teams and he's kind of gotten forgot about. But he's a really good goalie, and he's still relatively young. Right now, he's 4-0 with a 1.75 goals against and a .949 save percentage. I think he has looked stellar, and I think people kind of sleep on him after a couple rough seasons with Philadelphia. And just to give you an idea, his young gun, PSA 10, is a pop 575. It's a 2018. It sells for about $100 right now. So just in case anyone would like to look into that. I'm going to stop you. Uh, I'm going to stop. I need to stop you right here for a minute. I just, before you get into overrated, I want to remind everyone to send your hate mail to the (laughs) gong show, but in care of Troy. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say. I took it. I took, I did take a deep breath. So overrated. I'm just angry. Personally, I'm angry at the wild. So I, I took my, I don't know. I took it out on Mark Andre Fleury. I think he's overrated to be a starter in the NHL right now. I think he's struggling. He's looked bad. I'm not sure we can rely on him all year. But I think we're going to have to for the wild. But again, he's had a great career. He's, I think, two years removed from a Vesna, so maybe I'm overreacting a little. But if I if I'm looking at this realistically, I think one of the most overrated players is Drew Doughty. If you look at what he's being paid, at where he's at in his career, he's an eleven million dollar cap hit. I don't think he scores enough at that at his position to be worth that. He seems disinterested at times. He's been injury prone the last couple of years. He's a really good defenseman. Don't get me wrong. He is really good, and he can still play. I just don't think he's an $11 million cap hit <laughs> good defenseman. So that's where my that's where I realistically go with an overrated player. And the question didn't say overvalued, so I hope I'm getting the right gist. I, I didn't look sure. at like overrated value or overvalued cards. I'm just saying overrated player. And then, Dowdy certainly oh, doesn't have one. a good opinion of our of our guy Kaprizov. No, he's you know about that, right? Well, after no, the, one of Kaprizov's big coming out games where he had the game winner, he went. Dowdy was asked about him and was basically like, "He's nothing special." Oh, you don't remember right. that? No, I don't. Okay. <laughs> and then my ready to break out is I don't know. It's kind of easy one just from being a Wild fan. Matt Boldy, three goals, three assists, six points. Everything about him is positive. There was just a big article about him on his teammates coming out saying how unbelievable he is in practice. They said he's going to be an all-star forever. He's one of the few bright spots that the Wild have this season. 
and he's building on that strong first half of last year. Or first strong for he came in what in January, so strong. Yeah. First half second of his half. playing career, hat second half of the NHL season last year, and looking like he is going to be an all-star player going forward. Good list. Remember, all flower hate mail. <laughs> Care of Troy, please. Uh, my feelings will get hurt. So for underrated, I put my guy Jesper Brett. Kind of talked about him earlier. The fact that he's playing so well and his prices haven't jumped kind of lead me to believe he's a little bit either underrated or people aren't buying in yet, right? Maybe need to see a little bit more. Uh, so there's not a lot of hype. Overrated, I went with Quentin Byfield. Yeah, that's a good one. I just haven't seen, he. he's probably maybe him or here's where I'm going to get hate mail. Lafreniere could be another one where you look at, okay, the what determines their or what percentage of their value is hype versus production. Uh, you compare Byfield to maybe Steven Stamkos, right? They're at opposite ends of the spectrum where Byfield mm-hmm. it seems like he's all hype. What has he done? So he's a former number all over number two overall pick try. He's played 54 games, which isn't a ton, but it's a decent sample size. He has 14 points and is minus seven yeah. in 54 games. And his young guns is like 40 bucks or was based on what? I just don't, I just don't get it. For breakout candidate, I'd probably go with Maddie Beniers for reasons we've talked yeah. about before in the show. Yeah. He's playing a prominent role on a crappy team. He's going to get a lot of opportunity. He's pretty good. I think stars are aligned there. Okay, if you had to start a new franchise today and all NHL players were available, what two players would you take? So this is a combined question that, again, from 419 Sports Guy and Top Shelf Cookies, Cookie Sniper 88. It's kind of a sweet name. So, Troy, you want to go first? I think this yep. is a quick one. Yep. I just had Connor McDavid and Jake Ottinger sit back and count the cups as they roll in. Wow. That's all I got. One of the- <laughs> I'm going with late career Thomas Vanek and Danny Heatley. So I can draft <laughs> Connor Bedard. That's hey, it's a good strategy. Sorry, sorry if you're a Heatley or Manic fan, but you gotta understand when they finished their careers basically at the wild, they were horrid. Yeah, they were they couldn't skate even. In all honesty though, I'd go with McDavid and McCarr. So you'd pick Ottinger over McCarr, huh? Yeah, I'm going goalie. Okay. All right. Well, doesn't surprise me. Do you think it would be better or worse for hockey cards if other brands besides Upper Deck have licensing? Great question. You want to go first again, Trey? Sure. Um, I will say this. I like competition, and I would not mind if another company was able to come in and produce licensed hockey cards, i.e. Fanatics, if they somehow got a license. With that said, I want Upper Deck to continue with the hockey license. I like a lot of what Upper Deck does. I feel they have the collector in their best interest. Obviously, we've seen stumbles in the last couple years around production issues, logistical related to the pandemic. But I do honestly believe the more we learn about the hobby that Upper Deck does do the hockey hobby right. If the NHL continues with just having one company as that exclusive license E, I'm glad it's Upper Deck, but I'm not opposed to if the NHL ever wants to try to have multiple license holders. Good answer. This is a tough one. I think competition is always good. It puts natural natural pressure on any company to improve things that we care about, like quality control, customer service, be more innovative and produce better card ideas, better cards, new stuff. The one thing that would really worry me, though, is I'm worried that if there were multiple licensed card producers, that how would you stop the market from getting over flooded? Upper Deck has total control how many cards they put in the market mm-hmm. each year. So if there are three companies out there all competing with each other, trying to launch better sets, bigger, faster, there, of course, would be benefits to that. But might there be seven times the hockey cards that are today in the marketplace? And could that dilute 
a lot mm-hmm. of value. Okay, Thaddeus Stewart, another Gong Show supporter from our Discord, asked what possibilities exist to provide the hobby with a what's next type of innovation. Longtime collectors don't need something like that, but for younger generations, are there any thoughts for the future of the hobby? Okay, Troy, it's your turn to I, I, dictate I love, the future of the hobby. I love this question. I kind of went back. If you anyone has seen the video of the Colorado Avalanche players, they're kind of sitting around a table and they get their rings presented to them. They're in a wood box. They open them. And there's a little video screen in, in the rings in there, but there's a little video screen that automatically started playing a video with highlights and everything. So my thought would be, is there a way to take that idea and make some kind of a physical digital card? I believe the technology is there. If you had a card come out, it had a little screen on it. Microchips are super tiny now. They can get them in there. It would have to have like a little battery and it would be almost like this play a highlight like the one i keep going back to is if i open the card and it's a bobby Orr card it has his goal where he scores and then he's like diving in the in one of the most iconic images ever and then if there was some way to tie that to maybe i don't know you kind of said nft or blockchain if you could tie this image but i like the idea of having a physical digital card with like a little video or something i think that'd be cool probably expensive i don't know how practical it is i think it'd be awesome and you could have it in your display case and it would just keep running the high. I think that'd be awesome. <laughs> and Bobby Orr could say hi to you when you walked in the door, <laughs> yeah. like a parrot or something like Futurama. that. Futurama, they got the heads in the jar. I don't know if I have much to add to that. To me, it'd be something NFT or blockchain related, which I'm not a personally a huge fan of, but I'm also not the right demographic for the question either. So it's whatever intrigues young people, I guess. Okay, let's switch over to Instagram and got a bunch of questions from there. So Ray Bork Card Collection asked what 90s insert sets do not get the love they deserve in your opinion you want to arm wrestle to see who answers this one first I can, go, I can go first like i i love the question i'm just not a good one to answer it as i'm woefully behind on all 90s insert sets and which ones don't get the love they deserve i do know there's personally there's some that i do like and i don't know how well loved they are i'm assuming they're pretty they might be well loved because they're so cool just my opinion but there's the 90s pinnacle mask insert so they had goalie mask on them and then kind of you turned it over and it had the picture of the goalie that those were super cool and then in 96 97 i think they released some more later there was flare hot gloves which is kind of cool in my opinion had goalie gloves they were kind of die cut they looked they looked pretty sweet as well i'm really into like any goalie insert cards so any 90 insert goalie stuff i would be all over shocking i don't have much more to add than that other than this really shined a light, shined yeah. light. Yeah, shined a light on the fact that neither of us have a lot of knowledge in this area. So we're going to look for somebody to come on the show and school us. So we're putting the bat signal out there, I guess, for anybody. If you know anyone that has like legit, serious 90s insert credentials, creds, I've already got a couple names that wouldn't be too scared to go on a podcast, uh, go ahead and message us and that's something I would love to explore down the road. Okay, Mnando02. I jumped back into the hobby a year ago, and I'm at a stage where I'm hunting down $50 to $100 cards. What can I do to get to the next level? What boxes of up-and-coming series should I focus on to gather value traders to increase my PC portfolio? So it sounds like it's like a trade-up guy. You want me to take it? Yep, all you. I think if you're looking for specific brands that have consistently demonstrated value and are the most liquid, meaning easiest to move for trade-ups. I'd keep it simple and stick with raw and gem mint graded young guns. 
Future Watch Autos, and Ultimate Premier or Cup RPAs. Okay, top shelf, Cookie Sniper 88. What current player, if you are the GM, would you build a franchise? Well, we kind of answered that. So Troy went with McDavid and Audi, Jake Audi, and I took McDavid and McCarr. Yep. Hockey Cards Up asks, who are each of your top five players to buy? Okay, so before I let you go, Troy, again, we always have to make our disclaimer. Do not take carte blanche. Anything we say here as good investment advice, do your own research, make your own decisions. The question was asked, so we're going to answer it, but we could and will likely be wrong. So, and plus some of these guys we may be talking about from a PC perspective too, and not necessarily investment perspective. Okay. Yeah. PC, yeah PC perspective. And just, I'll be honest, I'm mostly PC. I'm not a big investor flipper. So take my names with a grain of salt. They're guys that I'm interested in from that kind of perspective. Yes, they might have some investment upside, but like Josh said, do your research. So my five are Shane Pinto, Matt Boldy, Carter Hart, put my mouth or what's it? My money where my mouth is. Jake Ottinger, which I've obviously talked about a lot and Sebastian Ajo. My list is Logan Thompson. I've talked about him before. He's in a great situation. Could be a dark horse caller candidate. He's on a pretty good team. There is an injury to their starting goalies out for the year. So it really thrust him into the spotlight. Kaprizov, just from a PC perspective. I agree with Troy on Pinto. He's coming back after missing a year. So I think there's a lot of hobby upside and momentum. I've kind of been an Adam Fox guy. And I'm also intrigued by Cole Caulfield. Pie card guy, what is your favorite vintage hockey card and why? Okay, I'll go first. And I understand this is not technically vintage. It's in the junk era. But the card that really got me fascinated with hockey cards is the 1990 Sergei Fedorov Young Gun. To me, it's just the best card, my favorite card of all time. Obviously not the most valuable card. I was 13 at the time or so. So it was kind of in that perfect sweet spot age. And I remember it as in my time there, it was the first current card that it was rookie that was dry that had a lot of value. So that's fine. What's your story? Mine is the 1983-84 Pelly Lindbergh. I've talked about it before. He was my one of my favorite players as a kid. Probably my favorite goalie as a kid. It's an iconic card. I, the image on it is just, I love it so much, where he's kind of in the goalie net, hunched over just a little bit. It's a, it's a classic image if you've ever seen it. Obviously, Pelly Lindbergh died tragically young, crashed a car. Anytime I see this card, brings back a lot of memories, how much I liked him. And just, it was one of those first things where you lose a piece of your childhood, you realize your heroes are kind of human and that things can happen. But I love that card. And it's just a little piece of my childhood every time I look at that card. So that's that's my all-time favorite. 780 Sports Cards underscore Game Warren asks, is PSA always going to be superior or do you see companies like SGC and CSG taking over, especially with Fanatics having bought into CSG and also owning the sports card market in the next couple of years. All right, Troy, tackle the big one here. Well, I'm going to say this. I'm going to come off jaded. I I am getting more jaded by the day on grading and all the companies and all the confusion and everything. So keep the questions coming. Just please don't take my being jaded as I don't want to answer these. I still think they're very interesting questions. I just, I'm getting... I don't know what the word is, kind of fed up with a lot of the grading stuff. But right now, I'll say this, PSA is king. However, as more companies come in, they innovate. It's going to take some innovative ideas to gain traction to start to lessen the PSA grip. I don't know if the PSA grip will be lessened in five years. I There's a lot they have going for them. Now, again, grading is speculative or it's subjective. It's reputation-based. PSA has the reputation right now. That wasn't always the case. PSA wasn't always the top dog, but I, and even, I mean, I'm not the biggest grading fan and grading hurts my head to think about, 
but I do not see PSA being displaced in the next couple of years. I think that's fair. If you look back a couple of years ago, PSA wasn't the top, BGS was, and now look where BGS is. So yeah. it's certainly possible, I think, for PSA to slip. And they are kind of in the old school way of human subjective grading. And there are some interesting companies, like we talked to Jeremy Lee at TAG, that have some solutions to try to address them. What we mentioned before, though, and I think is still true, is that at the end of the day, it's whatever slab holds the most value or esteem or you use the word reputation. That's who's going to lead. And the question I have about PSA, and this is kind of like an economics almost thought that I'm not mm-hmm. smart enough to have a super intelligent opinion on, is if you think about all the value in PSA holders right now, so if SGC or CSG or TAG or somebody else were to usurp them, Think of all the value that would be lost in that equation. Or there'd have to be such a premium on these other brands that sort of take over the top spot, even if PSA held their values or they're proportionately with the other companies. And I don't know if that would happen either. So I'm sure it'll happen at some point. I just don't know who it is. And I guess that'll be the fun of it to watch along the way. All right. Schwab Hockey Cards asks, do you think Kaprizov's card values are doomed to crash? Not necessarily soon, but what will his legacy be in the hobby? He started his NHL career late, which will affect his totals and realistically what awards he'll win. Will people still want his cards in five or ten years? And will he be another great hockey player nobody talks about, a la maybe Peter Stastny? I added that part. Okay, Troy, go ahead. So my question is, are they doomed to crash or have they already crashed? I I think it's a great question. I think Kaprizov has a lot going against him, like you mentioned He's a st- obviously a star caliber player, but he will have a shorter runway, obviously joining the league later due to his situation coming over from Russia. Obviously, he's an elite player and he's going to have a lot of points, I would expect, over the next, you know, let's say five to seven years. But I don't know if he's going to have enough runway to get to that just next stratosphere. And we're seeing his card prices always already come down. And part of that, too, is every time you look at the pop report for hockey, his young guns is usually in the top, I don't know, five or two or what is one at one point. So the, his young guns is obviously getting a lot of population in the PSA reports. I think, I don't know. I don't know where it will come. I just know I own it. I own a PSA 10 version that I bought way at 700 and some bucks, 750, I think. And it's down 390, maybe 400. So he's definitely seen it come down a lot. I don't know if, he, I don't think he'll be forgotten about. I just don't know how much runway he has to get into that top tier elite level. Yeah, this is like the $64,000 question, right? Mm -hmm. And on one hand, he's amazing. Like he is truly, if I I would think if I'm a fan of any other team and he's got the puck in the offensive zone, you're terrified of what's going to happen. And he's special and electric. You know, there's guys that produce a lot of points, like the Dino Cicerelli tag guy, Mm -hmm. who just park in front of the net, get the crap beat out of them and stuff a bunch of rebounds home. This is Kaprizov is has that electric flair to him. On the flip side, though, and, and maybe we need to start talking about this more and really working together, all of us, even ourselves and who listens. When we're talking the elite of the elite, if you go back starting at 2005, so what's that, 17 years ago? We had two guys in 2005, which is kind of amazing when you think about it. You have Crosby and Ovechkin. Then there's a 10-year gap. 10 years to Connor McDavid. Then the next year you have Austin Matthews. And then there's a two-year gap. And we think maybe Kale McCarr and then maybe Kaprizov, right? But of all those guys, Kaprizov is the biggest question mark. He has a ton of hype. He His rookie coincided with the big boom in all sports cards. So 
got a lot of momentum that way. And he's very exciting to watch. I don't, the other thing you, you have to throw in there is the whole Minnesota thing is yeah. he's not going to be a great of the great of the greats if he never wins a playoff series. Of all the guys, you know, both him and Matthews and McDavid need to win at some point. I don't know. I wouldn't be cashing in your whole collection to go all in on Kaprizov. But if you make some smart bets and choices, you could, this could be one that could pay. He has a chance. Okay. Christian Chickix asked, how many young gun variations are too many? Base, French, clear cut, exclusives, high gloss, retro, retro exclusives, retro high gloss, canvas, and then all the EPAC exclusives, silver foil, speckled foil, rainbow foil, et cetera. You want to take tackle this one first, Troy? Yeah. How did you say his name? <laughs> I'm, I'm interested in the name. It's Christian Hitcox, right? Yeah, I probably didn't say it right. Okay, write into us if we're wrong. I like, I love when we put your stuff. So I, since I, I, the city I refuse to say because I don't want to mess it up anymore in Canada. Well, I was kind of thinking about how you said, is it Quebec? Is it Quebec or Quebec or? I don't know. Uh, I'm sure it's one way is French, one way is English. Yeah. But anyways, back to the question. The young gun variations. And I, I put a note to myself, you know, don't forget there's also the EPAC exclusives or silver foil speckled rainbow foil. So that kind of adds to your list. Now, honestly, I like the variations. They don't bother me. I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. Also, as long as it doesn't turn into prison basketball with 68 different parallels or how many ever there are. If you ever look at a checklist for that product, it's insane. I like a chase on an iconic Young Guns card. I think it's fun. So I have actually no beef with how many variations of the Young Guns there are. I think it's manageable. And I like, I like, the, I like the chase on those. I don't mind them either, but I think if you look at from like a long-term value perspective, and I end up looking up a lot of card values for our, our show and our Instagram, just like you do, Troy, where the value always seems to be are in Young Guns base, exclusives, and high gloss, right? And everything mm-hmm. else is a little bit like fun or ancillary. So I guess it depends on what perspective you have. I don't know if there's too many. I, I, I personally think it's part of Upper Deck's way to create value while the hobby grows without just printing more base young gun. So maybe it's good from that perspective. And I think looking at it just from a collector's view, it kind of they offer something unique. Okay, we had a question from Bruin Bill Eight. What do we think of Andre Shvetsnikov's hot start? We kind of answered that in the Who's Hot segment, so we'll move on. But good question. Lantern Cards asks, "What's the best way to determine if comps are shill bids or not?" Okay, Troy, I'll let you take this one. Yeah, I've actually researched this myself a while back, just because I was trying to learn. And here's some of the stuff I, I learned: if if there are other sales. Obviously, look at the range of what the other comps are and just use an eye test. Does anything seem out of the ordinary? Is there one really high sale? And maybe that's that's a way you can figure it out. In eBay, you can look at bid history on sold items. Are there, in, when you look at the bid history, you can see who's bidding on it on the item. Are there any low feedback bidders? That could be an indication of kind of newly created accounts that are just used for shilling. Let's be honest, a lot of these shill bidders are smarter than that, but. It's one of the things that you might be able to to look at. On the item, you can look at the seller's other sold items and check bid history on other items to see if the same account are showing up as bidders. So if you see the same account bidding on different items that a person is selling, might be a shill bidding account. You can also look at bid retractions. And if it's a high percentage, I think you can look at the past 30 days to see how many bid retractions have been on an item that someone's selling. That's kind of an indicator. Again, there's other ways. And I'll tell you right now, if you really want to get into this, just Google how to tell an eBay shill bid. There's lots of articles and lots of YouTube videos on it that are really helpful. 
That was a really good response. I don't really have anything to add to it. Okay, Hockey Cards for Life asks, do you think SGC is better than PSA for quicker profit margins, even if prices of 10s are different? SGC, 5 to 10 day turnarounds, $20 a card. PSA, 30 to 45 day turnarounds, $128 a card. I didn't verify those prices, but so we're assuming that he gave us the They sound right, but I thought SGC was, didn't they do it in $18? Utah. I think think that's maybe for group group subs. Yeah. I can only answer one grading question. Mailbag. <laughs> now I'm over my limit. Okay. <laughs> so I think if, if it's a very quick flip situation, then yes, there is an SGC play where it's a viable choice. A good example would be like right now, if you had a Maddie Beneers MVP silver script and you wanted to get it graded and flipped prior to the release of series one, about what, two weeks from now, SGC might be your best option. For some reason though, again, SGC has struggled in hockey card value. So it's, it's difficult, more difficult in hockey than maybe in football or baseball or some other sport. If you do have the time though, you're, and you can wait. I don't know if I would rush $128 submission of PSA, but if you do their what low level wait, what three months or whatever, that's probably from a value perspective, your best bet. Yeah, and I'll jump in. Make sure people research the prices. So on SGC, if you do 50 or more cards in your order, then it's $18. Depends on the, how many cards you're submitting and stuff. They redid all this stuff like a couple weeks ago. Sure. So again, just... Well, they change yeah. daily, it feels like. Yeah. The, again, that points to where I get frustrated with all this stuff. But please research if uh, to make sure you get the right pricing. Okay, last one, Troy. Flips underscore cards asked just a few minutes before we started recording. I was like, I didn't even Request. see this one. Uh, I caught it. <laughs> uh, which players in the 2022-23 Series 1 Young Guns checklist do you think will be under the radar? at first, but have potential to grow in popularity. Actually, what I would point to here is the rookie deep dive segment we do on every Monday show. Prior to that, we're letting you guys choose who you want us to cover. And almost every week, I've had either Kent Johnson or Jack Quinn in there, and they always kind of finish near the bottom, right? Which tells you that these are the least interesting or high players right now. And so I would say, I would just lean on that and say, if either if well, we talked about Kent Johnson in our Who's Hot segment, but if him or Quinn continue to play real well, that those are a couple maybe under the radar, out of the gate guys that could see some growth opportunity. Amazing questions. Thank you, everybody, for submitting them. Hopefully you found our answers okay. Uh, we'll keep doing this every Thursday. So please be thinking of questions for next thursday's episode that is our show so thank you for listening of course if you like the episode please leave a rating or review on apple spotify or whatever podcast app you listen to us on if you love the show would like to support us want to chat with us on the regular and the hockey cards gong show discord server please consider a five dollar a month donation join the auto 99 support level tier on patreon the link is in the show description within our instagram profile or you can search hockey cards gong show on the patreon website If you're not following us on social media, what are you doing? Get on board. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. Hockey Cards Gong Show Podcast is a production of Dollar Box Ventures, LLC, Troy. Thank you. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you on Monday.